0: Welcome to Systematic on 5x5 This is episode 4 with Paul Main, creator and designer of Day 1 and Ben Dolvin, lead developer of Day 1 Hi Paul and Ben Hey Brett, thanks for having us on Yeah, it's great to have you here Um, So I think we'll start by talking about Day 1 which is uh, kind of a big story right now Uh, You just had a major release of a new version on iOS and Mac How's that going? It's going really well. We uh we've
1: got a, a great reception from from our current users and from new users. Uh the feedback's been really positive. We got great reviews in the app store and sales are doing really well.
0: And you've gotten some press coverage as well, pretty uh pretty popular out in the blogosphere.
1: We had some great coverage. The Verge did a great report and they have a huge audience. And then we had two wonderful reviews, one from Sean Blanc, who's a big fan of the app. And Federico, uh from Mac Stories, did a really great piece on it, on how he uses day one. And then of course, all your coverage and uh and uh and the giveaway that you did. We appreciate that.
0: Yeah, it's a uh, really for for my little blog, it was a pretty huge response. Um and we gave away a package with uh both mac and ios um promo codes so everyone who who got chosen in the contest selected would get uh, a full package full package of uh, mac and ios and those sync together beautifully over both icloud and dropbox and this sounds like a commercial but i'm actually not getting paid to say this um (laughs) tell me a little bit about uh what went into setting up the synchronization Uh, because I find it really, uh, really fluid more so than a lot of the other apps that sync across platforms. Is there anything special, any trials and, and, uh, tribulations involved with that? Well, Ben could speak more on that as he, he's the one that
1: built all the sync platform on, on both the apps, which, uh, we built from the ground up again, rebuilt from the ground up on this release Mm -hmm. to, uh, to increase performance and reliability, so I'll
2: have been. Yeah, um, when we initially approached Sync in the initial versions of Day One, um, of course iCloud didn't exist at the time, and so we were, you know, we were focused on on Dropbox, and um, and so you know we just one of the big challenges was to reduce the chance of conflicts. Um, you know, we didn't want creating an entry at the same time on two different devices to cause any problems at all. And so we, we moved to a you know a single file format where each entry was like its own file. And that, that worked out really well. Additionally, we used a universally unique identifier, a UUID, for each of the file names. And that way we could guarantee, you know, we didn't have to talk from one device to another to know that each file was going to be named uniquely. Um, Those two things have worked out really well for us, and as we transitioned to iCloud, um, that same approach continued to work well. We looked at, uh, you know, with iCloud, you have two options. You have um, a document sync option, and then you also have a core data option. So you can actually create a core data database and sync, um, you know, using that between all your
0: devices. Uh, When we tested that, it was just Horribly broken. Yeah, I've heard, and, some, I've heard some nasty things about Core Data and iCloud at this current point. Yeah, it
2: continues to be so too. It's it's gotten better, but it's in my opinion, it's not ready for prime time for any app with any significant amount of data in it. Um, so we stuck with with you know the single files, um, and that worked out well. You know, we had a, a couple of workarounds we had to do. It doesn't. It didn't work very well with file packages, which is what our main data format is. You know, if you look at the journal.day1 file, that's actually a file package. It's a directory, but it's treated specially by the operating system and by iCloud. iCloud syncs file packages atomically as a single unit, and it just did not work well. So that's why you might see in iCloud, you'll see that. It's not journalday one. It's actually a folder called journal underscore day one, and that's to get around that limitation. Um, we didn't want iCloud to treat it as a file package for that reason. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, overall, it's worked really well. I would say iCloud still has its issues. Um, Dropbox, with our especially with our latest release, um, you know, we've made we've spent a lot of time on Dropbox Sync. It's very fast. Um, we're using the new Delta call that, that Dropbox right. provided a few months ago and and that makes syncing really fast and so we're actually syncing when you're at when your application is active we're looking for changes uh, you know about every 30 seconds um, and pushing them in real time you know as you're typing we're pushing them up and since the Mac app you know it it's using the Dropbox client and that pulls things down immediately and so um, you know between those two it, it provides almost instant syncing um as does iCloud
0: so in in 2 years uh which do you see being more popular iCloud or Dropbox depends okay let's let's put it this way which do you see being more prevalent in applications uh n- ignoring uh user preference well
1: i think a big thing is uh universal access. And without a web API, I think iCloud could be in trouble. I can't imagine they're not thinking about that, but uh, that seems to be the biggest lacking
2: factor with iCloud currently. Sure. Yeah, and and it's unclear to me whether Apple cares about that at all. Maybe they do. I just, you know, iCloud is great for their internal apps and it's great they can provide it to developers. But I'm not sure how widely they want to open that ecosystem. You know, do they even want websites to be able to connect to iCloud? Um, you know, that opens up a whole new that they don't have control of those websites. So, you know, is that something they want to allow?
0: Sure. It, it may not um, necessarily be something they allow so much as something they make inconvenient for everything else. Um, do you, do you imagine any scenario where Dropbox starts to, I mean, where iCloud starts to uh, be required?
2: I think the main limitation with iCloud, of course, you know, this has been in the blogs lately, is is that you have to be in the App Store to do it. I'm talking, you know, on, on Mac specifically. Um, you have to be in the App Store to use iCloud. But, of course, now they've thrown all of these additional limitations on apps because of sandboxing, they've forced a lot of apps out of the app store and so a lot of these apps just flat out can't use iCloud and so that's why I think that some of the players like Dropbox and uh, you know the new ones, Imperium um, by the guys that did Simple Note uh, you know I think they're positioned in a really good place because if Apple doesn't open their platform I think that those are the services that are going to fill the gap and I think they'll do well
0: and Simperium has a pretty amazing web uh, API, if I recall. It's fantastic. I mean, it's it still needs some work before it's it's ready for real prime time,
2: I think. Um, but yeah, I mean, one of the big things they do is is they actually have persistent connections on all their clients, and so you end up with super fast sync. You know, all the clients are just connected with persistent connections. There's no polling or anything, and so updates are pushed in real time. You know, if you look at something, some of the demos that they have, they actually have demos where they've got two phones side by side and they actually have a game where the character moves from one phone to the other. And they're doing that basically, they're doing that through the Simperium API, you know, pushing updates so fast that they can actually use them to, to do a distributed game. It's crazy.
0: That's pretty amazing. Um, real time synchronization without direct connection. Yeah. Very cool. Um, so, uh, Going back to day one for a second, um, it's gorgeous, and I think that uh, the internet overall would universally agree with me. Um, I think uh, that well, that's you then, right, Paul? Yeah, you're the main designer. Yep. So what's your, what's your design background like? Uh, so I was I
1: I went to school at the University of Utah here and studied traditional graphic design. It was mostly based on print design and advertising and uh, at the same time I was really interested in web and you know technology stuff as I always have been so I was teaching myself html and flash and action script and so you know I was able to combine the two by learning all the the essentials of design with typography and color and all the all the aspects of design and then apply those to web and application and designing for the screen.
0: Very cool. I uh, had a very similar education. I went to the Minneapolis college of art and design uh, MCAD and I studied interactive multimedia there. So I had four years of uh, drawing uh, nude models and studying interactive design with uh, what were we using back then? Uh, It was the Macromedia product before Adobe bought them. Director. Director. Oh, yeah. I took a director class, I took a lot of director classes. That was going to be the next big thing. And the thing I learned from college is that uh, schools have to teach you to be prepared to learn entirely new things, not just how to use software that's available today. And MK did a good job of that. Um, it was just funny that two years two years out of college, director was it, nobody was using it. It was a forgotten technology, and uh, I can't even remember what the name of the player for the browser was. It was uh, like Shockwave. Splash. Shockwave. Yep. What? Right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. That wasn't fun. Um, <laughs> but anyway, I that experience ended up making me into a coder. I ran a a design, uh, an ad agency actually for a few years and in the process realized I'm not really into, uh, design as much as the, the coding that went into the interactive projects. And that kind of became a, a thing for me, but you've, you've stuck with design. Uh, the website looks great, by the way. Thank you. Um, yeah. And then, uh, and, and Ben, do you have uh, a purely coding background or did you come from a mixed background? Ah, uh, yeah, you don't want me to do any of the stuff that Paul does. <laughs> that's, that's why we
2: work together as a pretty good team. I'm I'm pretty strict developer background.
1: Yeah, see where where you decided that you liked the the coding side, Brett. I uh, <laughs> I I was playing with both as I was um, I worked for an ad agency for two years as well, and um, I did Flash websites, but I did the whole thing. I would design it all and pitch it to the client, and then if it was approved, then I would build it out and write all the action script. And, uh, and so, and I loved that process cause I could, I could get a basic idea of what I wanted, but then refine all the design and creative aspects of it during the development process. And I liked leaving that open rather than just handing it off to somebody. And, uh, but I, it, and then after after that, I worked uh, with Ben. We worked at Move Networks together. Uh, it was a video streaming startup here in, in Utah. And some of the most talented developers I'd ever been around. So I quickly realized that wasn't the thing for me, that I should focus on design and user interface design and just work closely with some talented developers and, and I can achieve the same results by... Uh, you know, iteratively going back and forth without me writing code really slow.
0: It it makes perfect (laughs) sense to do that when you're, uh, when you're overshadowed by someone else's talent to pick an area that you are good at and to excel in. Uh, I think, I think it's a certain personality type. Some people really like the, the challenge of being better than everyone else drives them to do things that are not necessarily, uh, they don't necessarily innately want to do. Um, I think it's really smart to given the opportunity, pursue what you love and uh, and and forget about the things that someone else already has covered.
2: yeah, and you know you know one of the things i really enjoy about you know working with Paul, you know I've worked with other talented designers in the past too, but there needs to be some level of overlap you know between the two between the um, between the design and the, and the the actual execution, the development of it. And that's where I'm working with Paul. You know, he's just an amazing designer in his own right, but he understands the, the technical challenges behind it and has the overlap into the development world to know okay, I'm not going to design that. That just doesn't make sense. You know, that, that's going to be way too difficult to, to develop. Or, you know, this makes sense for this technical reason and that kind of thing. And, and uh, that's what I think really has separated Paul from a lot of the designers I've worked with.
1: Nice. And he he programs in a way that I can go in there and tweak variables and get things just how I want them.
0: Uh, it's it's what's what's really great about that and and some of the situations I've been in is uh, having two people that speak the same language, like f- f- the the bridge between developer and designer. It's it's becomes really important these days. I remember back uh, in the early days of the web, there were huge divides uh designers would design and then hand to the developers and developers would say no and vice versa and uh it became really important to have those people that could uh be the liaison and uh, i think just about every web developer today has has a little bit of both but uh to find a team where you can really work tightly is is definitely a great thing Um, yeah you gotta do that All right, I'm going to take a break for our first sponsor, and when we get back, I'd love to talk about uh, a little more more about creativity and coding. So we'll be back in one second. Our first sponsor today is Hover.com, Simplified Domain Management. You've probably registered a domain with a company that just wants to sell you services you're not interested in when all you want is a simple .com, .net, or maybe a .co or .tv. Hover makes it as easy as just entering the domain uh, you're interested in into the search box, and Hover tells you if it's available. If it's not, it'll come up with some suggestions, and they're often very good suggestions. You can just type in a few keywords, and Hover will figure out some available domains using those terms for you, like a magical robot. They have real human beings available for support, and their number is right on the front page of their website. If you have any problems, just pick up the phone and call. They have a no-hold policy where someone always just answers the phone. Seamless transfers from other providers, elegant DNS management, email hosting, and more. And even though I'm not Dan, if you use the code DANSENTME or visit hover.com slash dansentme, you'll get 10% off of everything you buy from hover.com. So I find that if you sit down with no constraints, 100% freedom, open planes, you just... You don't know where to start. It's overwhelming. Um, If you have constraints and a problem presented to you to solve, you can get started and you can start being creative and creatively solving that problem. Absolutely. A lot of times, uh, development is not considered a creative pursuit. Uh, Maybe it is among developers, but among the general public, it's viewed as uh, the pocket protector, uh, just sit in front of a keyboard, you don't. Uh, create beautiful things, you create usable things, and while everyone considers that important, they don't necessarily consider it an artistic pursuit. Uh, Paul, have you had the same experience?
1: Yeah. I mean, I I love constraints. I think, uh, in fact, the the initial creation of day one, one of the constraints was uh, what I could get done and built on a, a limited budget, what I could afford. And so basically, I, I said, I mean, I had lots of ideas for all these different uh, data collection apps and things that could track hundreds of, of items and like big ideas. But then when I came down to it, uh, what, what I could get built, it was just something simple. And I just was thinking simple journal, let's just get text only let's not let's not even have like look at everything else that's out there with journals there's uh rich text with photos with all types of attachments and um, all kinds of export options and you name it, but let's just strip it down to the very basics and focus on simple text entry and 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 initially that's all it was gonna be was just a Mac app with. With just text entry, I mean that—that's something that I've wanted for a long time myself. There was nothing that really suited that need of a date—a date-based entry uh, of just simple text—and uh, so the initial goal was to get that built and and have ben Dolman here build it. And the iOS, the iPhone app, kind of came as an afterthought. We were like, "What well, would be nice if we could." Sync the data and have a way to input it while you're, you know, on your phone as well. And so it kind of just built upon the initial concept, and it kind of just luck would have it that they finished it. We finished both apps at the same time, and uh, and the syncing with Dropbox worked out just right. And so we ended up with the first version of Day One, which was text only and synced with Dropbox, and that was enough to get us rolling. Awesome.
0: Um. In day one, it is, as you said, it's a lot of plain text, and it's still beautiful. Uh, You use Markdown to allow for some formatting, and in the last version you added some great shortcut keys and some some intelligent autocomplete uh, lists and things. So that writing in it, and I'm talking about the Mac version right now, there's awesome features uh, very close to it on iOS as well. Uh, But looking at the Mac app, the visualization of the information is it's nice. It's really, it's, you don't think plain text when you look at it. Is that something that you concentrated on as far as uh, presenting data aesthetically? Yeah. Yeah.
1: I mean, I wanted it to to have a, a unique feel to it rather than just a, a list of text and, and using the default system fonts or, uh, and you know, the typical sizes you see on just a, a standard uh piece of software from on the Mac. Like I wanted some unique sort of design elements, uh, that kind of make it a little more interesting to look at. And, um, I mean the first, the, the initial goal is about inputting text, but you know, we gotta, I wanted it to be presentable as well initially. And, uh, and Ben was willing to go the extra mile and, and do some custom stuff on, on Mac, uh, on a Mac app, which is, is a lot harder than iOS is,
0: but, but yeah, there's a, there's a lot of nice custom Chrome in this app. I find that personally entering Markdown is like the ultimate way for me to take notes, uh, journal, things like that. Is it overall, do you find a good response or do you get a lot of uh, questions regarding where's my ruler and can I have, rich text and all of this. Do you hear that? I did initially.
1: There was uh, a lot of feedback about, you know, I, I want to add bold and what's this markdown stuff. And, uh, I think over the past year it's become a little more known and acceptable. And, uh, by adding some, like the shortcut keys I did on the Mac where you can select text and do, uh, command B for bold and it automatically adds the asterisks. And, uh, that that helps make it more accessible to the common user that's just used to rich text editing. Uh, And so I haven't, I haven't had as much complaints about that lately.
0: I think you're right. I think that it is, it's gaining um, if not acceptance, then understanding uh, acknowledgement. Um, Was it, was it a conscious decision to use Markdown from the beginning?
1: No, actually um, I was, interested in how we could, well, I think, what was it? I
2: remember we talked about, because, you know, it was one of the first things people wanted was to be able to bold and italicize and things like that. And my primary concern was just the, the, the data format, you know, how do you store that in such a way that it's not, you know, I'm not a big fan of, of RTF and, you know, we're just going to store a blob of data that represents rich text inside of the entry you know, in 20 years somebody's going to pull out their journal and want to export it and they got to deal with that crap you know yeah and, and i i always
1: sounds like
0: you've been reading my blog
1: <laughs> i've always been a fan of plain text as well and in fact um i Ben and I went back and forth on this because i wanted it to just be plain uh text files it, like currently it's in uh xml format and i was like trying to figure out and and we came close to doing this making each data file just a like a markdown file and we would parse through and pull out the metadata that would be formatted in a way that we could pull it out rather than the xml format because i i just felt like it was cleaner and easier like that you could your data is there if you ever want to edit it outside of of day 1 which you you can while well, it's an xml but it's it's a, you know you have all those
2: nodes and stuff in there um, do you want to speak on that? Yeah, I got to defend my position now. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, it was kind of a, a trade-off because, from a from a, a programmer's perspective, I wanted some sort of some sort of structural format that uh, you know made adding things later uh, possible. You know, so for future compatibility, if we add new information, um, you know, that we don't have to figure out, okay, how do we make sure that that doesn't mess up the old formats and, and things like that? And, you know, and there's always concerns whenever you serialize data, you know, that you're doing it in such a way um, that you don't forget about the edge cases. So I wanted to use some serialization that had been established, that, you know, was well tested. And, and so I looked at JSON and we looked at XML and ultimately went with with XML specifically the PLIST format um, because it makes it so easy to import and export on, uh, you know, on Apple devices, but also on other platforms, there's PLIST serializers and deserializers on other platforms as well. Um, And it means that we can represent arrays very easily. So, uh, you know, in theory, if we were to add tags or something like that, you know, you could easily represent that data in that way. And it's, you know, some people don't like XML. I understand that. It seemed like a... its It still seems to me like a good decision in this particular case. It's a good trade-off between just plain text, do everything, and some sort of structured format, which we need for our entries.
0: I totally agree with that. Um, you probably know pretty well that I am practically an evangelist for plain text. Um, but uh, I, like, I like working with uh, XML because it's really easy to script. like you, I can serialize XML. I can output all the data, it's like just you know working with RSS feeds and everything. Um, and it's really easy to parse. And if I ever wanted that to be in a plain text file, I could create it and I could add metadata headers and everything easily. I, I, I don't see any real issue with storing in plain text as long as you have the export options and you you've put pretty good export options into day one. your data is never trapped there. Um, so yeah, I think, uh, I think structured data has a definite place when it comes to making, uh, applications that can provide a plain text format and still provide a usable interface, which is a, a line I walk a lot. Yeah. I understand. <laughs> Have you seen, that uh, I, I did a project kind of over the weekend, uh, called Slogger. I think you guys probably saw that. I gave you a heads up that it was coming out. Um, Yeah love it it was uh it was a a labor of love (laughs) um for those that haven't seen it that one uh it it uses day one to track activity on twitter your twitter favorites and your non-reply tweets it tracks your playlists on last fm for the day it adds in uh, any photos that you can bring in via ifttt.com which lets you import Facebook and Facebook images you were tagged in and uh, Flickr, Instagram, etc. So all of those can show up in your day one journal. And I'm not pimping it. I don't make any money on it. I'm just saying uh, that it was an interesting uh, experiment in using day one's format where it stores all these XML files in the folder, uh, in the day one folder, either on iCloud or Dropbox. And I started playing with just dropping those XML files in myself. Um, there's some issues when you sneak those files in while the program's running, it doesn't always, uh, like that, but it doesn't crash. You just have to restart it to see it sometimes. And I know that's because, because it's a completely non-standard use case. This is not even a bug report. Um, (laughs) I just, uh, I'm just mentioning it. And, uh, do you guys have any uh, any plans to integrate anything like that directly? Yeah, I mean, we are looking at a web API
1: right now and, and currently playing around with that. And uh, can't say much about when or, or what that entails, but that is something we are uh, huge fans of, the ITT, the If This Then That website, and think that... Um. And integrate a way to integrate with that and other web services could be a really amazing thing for day one.
0: Awesome! I would love to see that. I would also just a plus one on the tags thing. I think I've said that before, but
1: right. And uh, I was uh, I mentioned this. We I've I've mentioned we're working on tags several times. That's a big uh, requested feature. There was some disappointment that it wasn't included in this update, but. uh we are working out the format that the tagging will be in the data file so that you could start saving tags in that format currently. So it's like future compatible. Oh, that'd
0: be awesome. Uh, let me know what format I can use right now. I'm using <laughs> at tags inline. and it's possible yeah, to I search those, um, but it's not possible to, to do any kind of Boolean search or anything on it. So it'd be cool to have a slightly more complex tag management system. But yeah. I'll leave that up to you guys because you are very elegant with your implementation. I tend to be a well, little <laughs> a little more scattered <laughs>
1: well, it makes my day to see uh, when developers create scripts and do things with the cli and and uh, and integrate with day one like that's that's so awesome
0: speaking of the cli it, has there been an update to that uh since the release because I know some people were having trouble with the uh, with not being able to insert data using the CLI? Is that true? Um it
2: it should be working. I've I've received one one bug report on it. Um well, two. One that w- it wasn't working online, which has been fixed. Um and the other Somebody said it wasn't working. I ran my tests again, and it seems to work. So if anybody's out there that is having a bug, is having a problem getting data in using the
0: CLI, please contact us
2: uh, at support, because as far as we know, it's it's working.
0: And for our not-as-nerdy uh, listeners, a CLI is a command-line interface. It's a Unix tool uh, or a system-level tool that you can run on the command line to add data to your day-one journal in this case. And uh, it allows you to, you can pipe input from other commands, you can pipe input from just about anything that gives you output, and you can also just use it as uh, a terminal command that lets you add updates from the command line. And now it can handle images, right? Uh, which is pretty cool. The journals look great with images in them, by the way. I really like that, especially on the Mac. Looks great on the iPhone, too, and the iPad. Thank you. It's good looking. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks. You're welcome. You're a fan. I I am. I am. Uh, I use a lot of text systems. Um, and and Day One's not my notepad. It's no. it's it's my journal, and I I use it primarily as a log, which is a different usage than what I would think is conventional for it. Um, I store a lot of. Well, uh, I don't know if I want to go into all the details, but um, because it's super nerdy. But I, I have my my Git repositories where I work on my code projects. Every night, those take all of the commits I've made to those repositories and log them as kind of a in a pretty format in Markdown in my journal, so that I can search and read back and see what I was working on in any, any given day. So I guess it's kind of it's a nerd journal, <laughs> but um, but I do I, it's very work related up until I wrote Slogger. And I wrote Slogger because there was no no color, no pretty in my journal, and the the capabilities were there. And I saw how great it looked with images in it, so I started bringing in the rest of what I'm doing in my life. So it's been it's been cool. This update has been uh, really opened up some uh, journaling instincts in me. I guess. Yeah, I love I love that you use it for that. I
1: I of course don't, but would like to use it for multiple uses like cuz i use it as just a personal journal like the intended purpose but i want a big feature request in in addition to tags is multiple journals and i'm one of the biggest uh, requesters there uh, but <laughs> we've held off for for several reasons so far but that's something that we definitely want to tackle so you could uh, have like a work journal, or like you have like a you know something that logs all your data from your your git commits and stuff, but you could also have a separate one that's just like your personal thoughts or ideas or just like an idea journal whatever
0: let me uh let me offer a tip to listeners who are using day one or thinking about it um, it's It doesn't have support, as Paul said right now for uh, multiple journals, but cool trick. If you save a journal, uh, you can duplicate a journal file. Uh, and uh, if you double-click it in Finder, it will prompt you to start using that journal instead, allowing you to switch to a different journal. And the only real downside is that it has to re-index every time. But even with my months of uh, daily Git logs, which get pretty long, um, and all the images that I've imported from Flickr and everything, it's, it's really uh, negligible. Uh, downside so it is possible to do that the
2: only other downside of that is that the the iphone and ipad apps um they won't sync with that other journal they only sync with the journal.day1
0: file yeah oh i hadn't i guess i must have done something that fooled me into thinking otherwise (laughs) so okay so if in in preferences if you are in dropbox Uh uh-huh And you point to, like, yeah, I got, I went down a little rabbit hole. And I pointed it to uh, journal2.day1 as a custom location but left iCloud syncing on. And I managed to get it to somehow light up two green icons on the preferences page. Um, And at that point, I'm pretty sure if I remember correctly, I was able to sync to iCloud and... To journal two at the same time, but I could be—I could be completely insane. I don't sleep a lot. <laughs> I, I really, I need—I need to stop doing that because I have basically delusional rabbit hole journeys that I barely remember what I did to get to where I am. And I recommend to anyone listening uh, go to bed. Just—just just go to bed when it gets to that point. I have uh, some. I've, weird I've felt
1: the same way after last week. <laughs> I ben bet I didn't didn't get much sleep.
0: So do you guys do all your own customer support?
1: We do, and that's that's one issue we are pretty much stressing a bit right now about. We uh, are looking f- for somebody to fill that and help out, but in the meantime, we are a bit swamped and uh, not not replying. Very
2: promptly at the moment. And we just today and tomorrow we're doing a support marathon We're we're just working through them all, trying to answer everybody's and you know, we, we had, we had a couple of migration issues with the Mac app um, on this release and we've, you know, we've expedited a, a fix. It's out there waiting for review. Um, it's in review right now. Yeah, it's, it's in review. Um, you know, and we've got workarounds for, for pretty much all the issues. But it's just a matter of communicating that to, to everybody. Twitter's been great. Facebook has been great for sending out that. But some people don't check that. So, you know, we're trying to get that out. Just get through all the emails.
0: I highly recommend a product from our last week's sponsor, which you've probably used. Uh, Text Expander is every support uh, support customer support person's friend. Yeah, I use it.
1: Ben
2: are you are you on it? Oh no, I just started doing support so yeah,
1: I've, I've been <laughs> the support been guy it. Ben's got more important things to do but uh, no yeah. that's very important stuff uh, it's yeah well of course but um, I've been able to keep a pretty good handle on support myself thus far but uh, thanks to text expander definitely
0: yeah. the other thing the other tip I would offer and I have I have a tiny bit of experience with customer support I'm not I'm not a veteran or anything. But document every question you get and start logging them and organizing them, not just frequently asked questions, but build documents that, uh, that make it easy to copy-paste responses, easy to hire someone who then has a reference manual to say, here's the answer, without having to go ask the developer every time. Yeah, um, that's a good idea. I worked with, um, with Agile Bits, makers of 1Password, for a bit. Um, and they, when you first start there, you're required to do customer support. Uh, zappos style and uh get down on the floor and that's the fastest way to learn about an application is yeah. to answer everyone's questions about it. It's it's an interesting and very productive philosophy that they have where uh they just they jump in, everyone helps, they get it done. If you cannot answer a question, you can pass it on to someone else and and then everything kind of revolves around being well documented and not having to repeat yourself a hundred times yeah. to a hundred different people. Yeah, that's That's great advice, Um, uh, text expander and snippets and all of that fun stuff. All right. I'm going to break for our second sponsor and that is Squarespace. Um, so Squarespace has everything you need to make an amazing website. Squarespace is a fully hosted, completely managed environment for creating and maintaining a beautiful website, blog, or portfolio. This means that no matter how experienced you are with building websites, or inexperienced, you can build something amazing in just minutes, without having to worry about hosting, scaling, or integration with social services like Twitter and Facebook. And the great news is, the new Squarespace has arrived. The templates with the new Squarespace are out of this world. They're beautiful, they're clean, and they let your content do all the talking. Uh, go to new.squarespace.com templates to take a look. Everything in this platform is drag-and-drop, which makes it even easier and more fun to use. And even the structure is great. Perfectly clean code, amazing for SEO, with image versioning. And everything is integrated. Design, domains, hosting, support. And Layout Engine is Squarespace's page builder. It allows you to create custom layouts for each of your pages in seconds. You add blocks of content, such as photos, videos, text, social media, content, and tons more. And you don't have to worry about what your site will look like on a mobile device. When you add images or design pages with Squarespace, your entire site will restructure automatically to fit on every device and maintain the beauty of the website's design. If you like stats, you'll love real-time analytics that are built into Squarespace. There are even iOS and Android apps that will let you manage and post on the go. You can even import content from your current blog and easily set up sharing and syncing with your social media accounts. As always, Squarespace delivers award-winning 24-7 customer support that responds in minutes. They also have live online workshops to walk you step-by-step through everything you need to know to build an amazing site. When you sign up for a year with Squarespace, you get a free custom domain name. If you want to pay month-to-month, you can easily link your custom domain with a few clicks. There's no credit card required to try it out. Simply go to squarespace.com and start your trial. Squarespace is $10 a month for the standard plan, $20 a month for the unlimited plan. If you sign up for a year, you'll automatically get 20% off, and if you sign up for two years, you'll get 25% off. Make sure to use the offer code DANSENTME8 when you purchase, and you'll get an additional 10% off. Check them out at squarespace.com. All right, so uh, let's uh, let's shoot to Paul here. Um So, what led to uh, day what's the idea behind day one
1: well it's really about uh, capturing data in your life and and being able to recall and remember experiences and moments and thoughts and ideas uh, in an easy way that's accessible and available to you at all times um, to create something in in the long term that adds a lot of value to either to you to reflect on the past or to, um, somebody else like, you know, your children and family. Um, I, I personally have kept a journal like on and off in the past and, and, uh, you know, quickly realized the value in that, but found a lot of limitations. So, um, just kind of looked for a way to fill that and make
0: it, make it uh easy so simplifying the the process of adding content uh yeah. was that one of the one of the things that uh stopped your journaling in the past was just complexity or uh well I, inconvenience I th- yeah i think part of it
1: inconvenience and part of it just not seeing what the end result was like uh so, you know, the inconvenient part was like you had to be sitting at your computer uh, unless, you know, a lot of people keep a written journal and there, obviously for geeks like us, there's disadvantages to that. You can't search it really well.
0: And they don't have keyboards. <laughs> <Right>. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and Yeah. And I, I don't write freehand really well. I like to type, but, uh, so there's there's that the part of inputting the data but also um, I mean I I tried several things and I kind of never really liked the results so in the meantime I said well I'm just going to and I had a friend of mine that did this he's like I just keep my journal in a word document and just throw in the date with text expander and, and right away and so I just did the same and for a year or two just kept a journal inside a Word document and just kept adding to it until and while in the meantime just kept looking for a solution and uh, until and, and I tried actually used Mac Journal for a while and imported all those into Mac Journal and that's when I was like I really want to create something that suits my needs so one of the biggest inspirations for me in uh in day 1 was seeing all the data visualizations created by Nicholas Felton who would create these annual reports of his life uh and just graph these make these beautiful graphs with typography and and uh and report on on these different aspects that he had tracked like uh how far he had walked and where he had visited and traveled and what he had eaten and which movies he had watched. And, uh, you know, seeing that it just tells a story and, uh, it's pretty amazing. Like you could just, you just learn all about him and who he is just by looking at these visualizations and, uh, you know, it all comes back to like capturing that data. And if you have the data, at some point you can, you can do things with it, whether it's, create these visualizations with, with, uh, you know, dynamic, make it dynamic and, uh, and present it or, uh, you know, as long as it's there, then, then your history is preserved. And so I just wanted to figure out a way to initially start capturing data, but then later focus on, uh, revisiting the data and, and visualize visualizing it and, uh, just playing with it comparing it to previous years and and just having fun with the data which we we haven't even got really warmed up on yet
0: and that's awesome i uh without searchability and without visualization a journal in my opinion is more of a uh therapeutic uh cathartic kind of experience where you You really only you're journaling that day and you're not really going to look at it again until uh, maybe you're very old and have nothing better to do than read about what you did when you were young, which I find to be a a sad thought. And that's how I kind of always viewed journaling until I started uh, doing it on a computer where I could actually search and make use of all that data. And uh, I haven't done a lot personally with visualization of of years worth of data but the possibility of it, I find very intriguing and I really look forward to what you guys come up with there. Yeah. I mean that
1: now we're starting to capture the location and weather and like location's been one that I've wanted from the very beginning. And for various reasons that we hadn't made that available until now, but I'm so glad that it is because that's just another aspect that we can easily track and, and record that, that we have
0: nice. And with the formats that you store in, it's entirely possible for other people to take their own data, their own journals. And uh, if they have the technical capabilities, start doing their own external visualizations with day one. Yeah, definitely. And that's yeah. That could be some that really cool projects for all you, uh, all you people out there that are really good with things like R. Uh yeah, I'd love to see what you guys can do with it.
1: Yeah. And we hope to make that more accessible in the future as well. Uh, cause that could really produce some amazing stuff like, like
0: we're seeing now with the CLI, but, uh, even better. Well, and that's where XML is actually going to be important. Uh, I think Ben's probably nodding right now, but yeah, when it comes to working with that data, you, you're going to need some kind of, uh, some kind of structured format to work from. Um, Thank you, we, Brett. We, yeah. <laughs> we won't dive back into that conversation, but um definitely it was a good choice in my opinion. Um all right. Well, this has been great you guys. Um really enjoying the new release of Day 1 and for those of you that haven't seen it yet, uh check out day one and uh check the show notes for that link. And uh and yeah, well, thanks, guys. Thanks for being on. And uh, thank you. Yeah, definitely stay in touch. I really want to see where this app ends up. Thanks,
1: uh, Brett. Yeah, we love all the support that you've given Day One. In fact, like when the your first post about Day One was right after we launched uh, an update with iCloud in January, and that was the one where we finally added markdown. Uh, I think it was markdown. Uh, in the edit mode, or maybe it was even markdown in the read mode. I can't remember, I, but I, had, I added some markdown element to it, and I had been a fan of yours before that. Just like uh, through NV Alt, I had heard about you, and then started following your blog. And had you actually like written down? I was going to contact you after that release went out and say, hey, you got to check out this day one with the markdown that we just updated. And then that before I even got it out, I saw that you had blogged and written this this script with uh, the system service, so you could clip it to day one. Yep, And it made my made my year.
0: Well, that that is how you get my attention. If anyone's wondering, uh, add markdown to your app, and <laughs> and my ears will perk up. So nice job, and well, thanks. Uh, yeah, I'm thanks gonna... for
1: having. Son, you've got a a knack for this podcasting
0: stuff. Yeah, you do. (laughs) This is my fourth time ever. Thanks for being here for it. Um, Our last sponsor today is Flixel. And Flixel is a free iPhone app that lets you easily create living photos. What's a living photo, you ask? Well, unlike a still photo, a living photo contains a portion of seamless and infinitely looping motion. Uh, Think about a fireplace, for example. Any scene with repeatable motion can become a work of living art. Here's the great part. It's super easy to use Flixel. Just hold your phone steady, capture a two-second scene, and then use your finger to paint the area that you want to animate. That's it. If you weren't steady enough, there's even a paint bucket tool that just animates the whole scene. The Flixel guides made a really cool music video entirely out of living photos created with the app. You should definitely go check it out at uh, flixel.com. It's f l i x e l com, and click the video link. Once again, Flixel is a completely free app on the App Store, so there's no reason not to try it out. Seriously, go get Flixel. All right, and thanks, guys, again, and we will uh, we'll talk to you all soon. Thanks. Cool. See ya. Bye.